Hey, Jason, remember a couple weeks ago you gave me that pop quiz? Well, first of all, you told me that I wasn't good in school, and I had to tell you that I definitely was an above-average student. I, I excelled in math and algebra and geometry, by the, the way. The pop quiz you cheated on? Yeah, the pop, the, the pop quiz I cheated on. But anyway, I'm going to give you a pop quiz today. Okay, I'm ready. So we, we talked about Industry 4.0. How do you get there? How do you get there? What's Industry 1.0? What's Industry 2.0? What's Industry 3.0? Come on. That's a good Marty. question. So let now me, you're going to cheat, right? Let me, try to, let me try to summarize it. So Industry 1.0 was essentially when modern power was used in order to manufacture things. You know, machines were first introduced. That's a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Industry 2.0 was when we started using mass production techniques like assembly lines. Uh, we also integrated electricity into the manufacturing process. And then Industry 3.0, which is mostly where we are right now um, would be like your CNC machines so where we st- and your robots so yep. where we started using computers and automation in order to drive the next level of productivity and then you've got industry 4.0 where our friends Eric Mach- at machine metrics comes into play yeah where you're using you know like cyber cloud-based smoke and mirrors type stuff in order to drive productivity again, increase your productivity another 20% by using data. So, I mean, it's an interesting progression in the manufacturing industry. Well, what they do is they have a machine monitoring software systems where you can actually view in real time to see what the machines are doing if they're running if there's any spindle problems you know eric was recently on a few weeks ago yeah that was actually episode episode 104 also makingchips.com forward slash 104 what's that discount that he was offering oh so he's offering the metalworking nation a 10 percent discount off of his software if you go to machinemetrics.com slash making chips sign up there's no obligation just go ahead and fill out the um the form and you know eric or one of his teammates will get back to you and see if you're a good fit and even if you have one of those older 2.0 or 3.0 industry machines he can look into retrofitting them sounds like a deal struggling with not only the expense, but just how do you handle this in a clear and concise way with your team so that you're on the same page. I mean, I I think one of the biggest successes for a business is when you communicate clearly with with your team. And if you're not communicating clearly on how you handle overtime, it could turn into a problem. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hey, hello, Metalworking Nation. Jim here from Making Chips. Exciting to come to you from our new home at the Digital Manufacturing and Design Innovation Institute right here on Goose Island in Chicago. Um, It's part of the UI Labs, and we are excited to be here as our permanent new home 
of making chips. I'm sitting here across the desk in front of a 15-foot-wide LED screen with our Making Chips logo right up on it, and Jason's sitting right here. Say hello, Jason. Hey, Jim. How How are you? I'm great. How does it feel to be in a new home? I, it, I love it. It's great. I mean, we're in, we have, you know, CNC machines all around us. We have people that are just spurring on a lot of activity surrounding manufacturing, how to make manufacturing great here in, in the United States. And it's just exciting. You know, I mean, everything that's happening here is to take manufacturing to the next level, which it's great to have our new home right in the middle of that. It is. And the people here are, are all first class, hospitality, I can't believe that they've been so accommodating to us. Yeah, it's but, been great. Uh, and, and like you said, we're coming here from, from Goose Island, which it's kind of an, I mean, to call it an island is, is a little bit of a stretch. It's actually this little piece of land um, near the Cabrini Green River North area that's basically an island just based because, on a couple of rivers. Well, I mean, the Chicago it. River branches off, right? right? Right, exactly. And so it's kind of an island, but kind of not an island. But they, they call this place Goose Island. So it's, it's, it's a fun place to be, though. It is. For it's sure. awesome. It is awesome. So I'm excited to be here, um, and uh, I look forward to many, many more recordings and VIP guests showing up here to be with us at our new studio. You bet. So what's on the agenda for manufacturing news? You know, we always talk about manufacturing news. You know how actually Ryan got this one. I didn't get this one today. Yeah, so let me let me read the title of the article. Apple's 1 billion manufacturing boost will likely bring robots, not factory jobs. So basically what Apple is announcing, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple just announced, he's creating a new fund that's going to invest 1 billion dollars into US companies that perform advanced manufacturing. And this is very similar to Basically, the facility that we're sitting in right now is because of what the previous administration, the the Obama presidency, put together this manufacturing fund that created the DMDII, which was a um, project between the government and private sector. So this is interesting that Apple is taking it upon themselves to invest money in making manufacturing in the United States to take it to the next level. Well, there's, there's still quite a deficit with what the article says. It says, as Reuters notes, the company already spends $50 billion per year with U.S. suppliers and has $257 billion in cash overseas. So, Well, that, that $50 billion, I mean, that could be anything. I mean, it could be marketing. You know, it could be, I mean, like, who knows what that $50 billion actually is? But we all know that primarily the Apple products are made in China. Oh, without a doubt. You know, and and I've talked to somebody, I don't remember the machine tool company that it was, but they, they order machine tools, special ones to manufacture the iPhones just in ridiculous quantities. I mean, it's crazy. And it would be great to see some of that manufacturing come back here to the United States. I mean, we're the ones that use all those iPhones. I mean, at least a good percentage of them. But I use an Android. Yeah, I know, but we're not talking about you, so... <laughs> Well, wait you a don't minute. Count. Do you think androids are made uh, overseas? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I'm yeah. kidding. I mean, of they course can be made. I, I mean, that. that's a, that's one of the big differences that an Android phone could be made anywhere because it's just an open source software system that anybody could grab onto. Right. So, um, but yeah, the 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 very interesting thing about this is that right now it's just an announcement. So 
there's not a lot of details for the investment and we don't know even who's going to be the first beneficiary or although they did say that it's going to be announced later this month but it's it's going to add to companies that do you know maybe 3d printing installing robots you know probably assembly line uh, infrastructure just whatever it is it's going to be to help the manufacturing industry to get to the next level now when you're when you're taking money from a company like apple that that could be a scary thing because you know when apple gives you money they're not just giving you money out of the goodness of their heart i mean they're they're going to be giving you money because they have some expectations that they want in return so i i would say when this gets announced it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like what the expectations are i don't even know if those those kind of details will be shared on a um on a on a more public level or if that's going to be a private contract but i'm just glad it's going to help manufacturing yeah, I mean, any anything's would would be great, and I think it's um, part of the new administration's tasked to to do this kind of uh, thing with Apple. And I think that um, Trump was the person that kind of pushed Apple in that direction. Yeah, in, in what's the what's the president of Apple, Tim Cook? Is Tim that, Cook. Is, yeah. yeah, and I want to read you know a line out of this article, which I actually disagree with. This um, it says, regardless of the recipient, the investment is unlikely to yield the new jobs that Trump so desperately wants. You know, I, I disagree with that. I mean, if if somebody's going to be manufacturing here in the United States, it's going to turn into jobs. It, it's not. It's not necessarily going to turn into a job that is going to be for whatever that investment is made. Maybe it could be made in robots. And obviously, you're not going to have a a direct job associated with whatever that robot is producing. But somebody has to program that robot. Somebody has to maintain that robot. Um, Somebody has to install the electricity that's required to run that robot. So it's going to turn into jobs, even if it's really heavily weighted towards automation. Uh, So I I would disagree with that line. But you know, it, it remains to be seen exactly how the this is going to pan out because at this point it's just a PR announcement. Right. And we all know what PR is all about. Anyway, got any business news, Jason? What, what What's going on this week? How, how's It's a Monday. How's your week going already? My, my week is getting better. Okay. <laughs> I would say that my year is getting better. I've, I've been actually under quite a bit of stress lately this year in 2017 um simply Share because we well we made this acquisition not too long ago and there was a lot of adjustments that we needed to make so let's just kind of like put it at that and it's been a lot of hard adjustments and it's been just you know some growing pains and we're finally starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel of a lot of the hard work that we've been doing in order to start moving the company in the right direction and to give them some vision for the future so i'm i'm hoping that my my, um, my summer is going to be relatively stress, maybe not stress free, but like very low stress because it's been a little, it's been a little difficult for the last six months for me. Yeah, I know you've shared that with me before, and I, you know, I, I feel for you. You know, my dad always used to say, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah, so it's absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, there is no, there's no silver bullet for anything. So at the end of the day, if you want if you want to be successful and you want to move to the next level, you had to put in the time, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I knew it. I mean, I, I took I took this upon you know myself, and I'm I'm still fine with it. I made the decision. I'm moving forward, and right. and, I, and I'm and myself and my team are putting a lot of hard work into it, and you know we're starting to see some light. So that's that's a good thing. I hope six months from now you can sit and tell me that it's. It's really gotten a lot better. No, it, and, it already is. Yeah, I mean, well, la- right. Like, this exactly. last month was a lot better. So it's just it like you know, is. starting a diet or a workout routine. The beginning months aren't going to be 
you know, easy that you're going to, there's going to be some pain involved. Right. And then at the end of the day, you get used to doing it and it doesn't become a problem anymore. You just, you just do it. You know, you, once you start a diet and you change your habits instead of eating, you know, a double cheeseburger from Wendy's and, you know, a large order of fries and an onion ring and blah, 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 instead of having, you know, four ounces of chicken and some broccoli, it's a big difference. And it's, it's, a, it's a tough change on your body because your body wants the, the crappy food. But, you know, you, you're just going to get used to it. And I'm sure it's going to be fine in, in, in a very yeah, short it, period it, of time. Yeah, it's going to be. And, and, you know, it shapes you as a business leader. And I think it's going to make us better for the future and make me a better, better business leader um, in the future I'm as confident well. it will. So I'm, I'm, if, if nothing, I'm tenacious about seeing my vision come to fruition. So I, I would say that I'm going to make sure that I do everything I possibly can in order to make that happen. Good, good. Well, I get to go to Boston on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have a legacy customer out there um, on the East Coast, and it's been it's been quite some time that I've seen them. I would say it, it hasn't been quite a year, but I typically like to go out and just check in. And I've got some new strategies to enhance the business relationship. You want to share? Or is no, that not, be right for now, a future, not right now. Podcast? Not right now. Not right now. I will share it. You have something at, um, at some point. Some secret. It's not things, really a secret. It's know. something I never thought of. And actually, Good. our dear friend Julie Poulos gave me the idea. And I said, oh, my Great. God, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Great. But uh, I'll let you know. Yeah. And if you want to you know, hear more from the intelligent businesswoman, Julie Poulos, we've got several episodes out there that you can Well, we're doing our, her name. Our, our, our monthly marketing series with them. Yep. So... So what do we have um, for our episode this time? Well, it, w- it was great. We, you know, we were brainstorming a, a little bit ago, and Ryan, I asked Ryan right out. I said, "What do you think, Ryan? You've been working with us now for over two years. Um, you, you, you know what our pain points are." And he said, "What's the deal with overtime in your shops?" And the minute he said it, I thought, "Oh my gosh! Of course." That is a pain point that everybody in our industry deals with. It's almost it's almost the norm in a manufacturing environment, and it's very difficult to to kind of understand what is the right amount of overtime. So what we've titled this one is privilege or entitlement. So. Jason, what, what do you think when you see? I know you work with a lot. I know I know overtime is not the norm in your businesses, but you deal with a lot of manufacturers who do work a lot of overtime. What is your take on it when you look back from the outside and see all of us working overtime all the time? Well, I, I do know that it's something that a lot of the people who work in the manufacturing industry depend on. You know, the people that are doing a lot of the... Um, the hourly the, wages. The, yeah, the hourly wages, like a lot of the work where they're getting stuff done, you know, maybe not the management or the leadership. From what I've seen, people really depend on those wages. And, you know, that that really actually concerns me for, for two different reasons. Okay, it concerns me for the individual who maybe is not planning their life around the normal standard wages that they make, whereas they should be 
using the overtime wages as a bonus, as something extra to do in their life. And I, I would say that a lot of them maybe plan their lives around making that overtime. And I that's guarantee concerning. you that 90% of people that are working in a shop in a manufacturing environment are absolutely counting on at least 5 to 25 hours a week of overtime in, in, a, in a guarantee. I've been in this industry for over 30 years. I have never not, I well, one time we did not work overtime, and that was during the recession. Yeah, and you know, that's a, we were that's down, a problem. We were down to like 32 hours a week, but it wasn't a very long period of time. It's a way to control the, the highs and the lows of our uh, production. So, you know, and it's always going up and down and up and down based on how our workload is. And that's where it becomes an entitlement for people as opposed to um, a privilege. It, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it absolutely is. And then I would say that my second concern would be for the company, because if you have a bunch of people who feel as though they're entitled to be making this overtime, and then for some reason or another, you need to make adjustments, that could become a problem for the company because people get upset, people end up wanting to leave, and there's just a variety of, of reasons why that could become a problem for the company. Right. Well, the, the only thing, uh, too, is, well, first and foremost, we all know that there's a, a huge skills gap right now. It's it's hard to recruit new talent for the shop. So what that's going to do is our shops are probably working max anyway to get the uh, the production done. So we need to amp up the overtime even more now because of the fact that we're, we're busy. There's not that many new recruits out there. Well, if you know, I would say that it's it would be less of a problem. It's kind of it, the difference to me is like how you look at it. So if you say to yourself, "I'm going to hire a machinist and I'm going to pay him hundred thousand dollars a year, and I expect him to work sixty five hours a week," then that's an understanding between the two of you. So he understands he has to work sixty five hours a week. You understand that you're going to be paying him a hundred thousand dollars a year, and I'm just making up these numbers. Um, they're good good round numbers to work with. That's okay. And, and as long as you as the manufacturing leader know that it's your responsibility to bring in the sales in order to justify the that expense, then then it's an okay proposition. But if if those overtime hours are supposed to be a bonus, they need to be treated as a bonus and they need to be discussed as a bonus and they need to be discussed as, you know, temporary. So it just it just depends on how you how you characterize it. And and I, I would say I mean how do you think most of most manufacturers see those those overtime hours? Do you think they see it as this well, is just part of the package or do you think they see it as it should be considered a bonus? I think they see it's part of the package. And you know the the other thing too, Jason, is you know if you've got three people working fifteen hours of overtime per week, if you take that fifteen hours times three, it comes out to about forty-five hours. So you could keep three people, you can retain three people, not bring you know the cost to onboard a new person is huge, right? The onboarding process is extremely expensive. So if you think three people working. 15 hours of overtime per week times three, that's 45 additional hours. That's almost another full man. Well, you're woman. not even counting that you're paying time and a half for it. No, it doesn't make any difference. I'm just talking about, I'm, th- I'm not right, thinking I get about the, the wages apart. I'm thinking about 
the production time, A, which is really the most important thing. And then secondly, I'd, I have not done it, but I wonder if you actually figured it out, how much are you really paying in overtime versus hiring on a new employee? What I mean by that is that we all know what the onboarding process is, bringing them up, training them, then you're going to have to pay them, and then you're going to probably have to pay them a, a good dollar. You're, they're going to want some more overtime. Um, I think this is a better way to to manage the production and the and the, and the hours. Um, yeah, but you're not necessarily, from what I understand, you're not necessarily managing it. You're just they're always getting paid overtime, and they're always expecting to get that overtime. Anywhere from ten to twenty five hours a week. Yeah. So what about you and your shop? Do, do is are any of your people working overtime at all? So in general, my my team does work about five hours a week overtime, and it's typically it's part of it's part of the package. So they understand that they're going to be working forty five hours a week, and they're going to get paid time and a half for those last five. If we ever got into a sales slump, I could stagger the hours and take those away. I wouldn't, you know, it's not my first choice, but it, it is something that we would be able to use. But I would, I would say, at, you know, five additional hours, it's not really, it's not a huge part of their income such that it's, it's going to be, become a big barrier if it goes away. So I try to keep it at that 45-hour mark. I mean, for me, I try to, as much as I possibly can, have a good work-life balance. And I think that the people that work on my team want to have a good work-life balance. Are most of your people uh, salaried or are they hourly? Um, well, I would say, you know, inherently, according to the law, they, they mostly have to be hourly. So they are. So, yeah, most people are not. But even the people that work, uh, with some ex- exceptions like myself, most people are working um, around that amount. So, I mean, I work quite a bit more than that as far as hours go, and I do have some other people that work quite a bit more than that as far as hours go as well. But it just all depends on their, um, you know, managerial responsibilities. Well, it's all part of the benefits, and we can we could do in a whole other episode on benefits and what that really means and how much that's really costing us. And um... Yeah, but I, I would say just from my standpoint, I, I think that as an employer, you should be, you know, talking to your team and having a conversation about that overtime and making sure that you're on the same page as far as, you know, when you get overtime, uh, when you don't get overtime, whether this is should be expected or an entitlement or whether it's something that's, you know, a privileged bonus to have. I think just having those conversations would be extremely beneficial to have so that if you're faced with a with with a, a situation where a either you need more hours or b you need to reduce hours there's not going to be any kind of like shock to to either party well i'd like to hear from the metalworking nation because they would definitely um help by letting us know so we can share this information with the entire cumulatively with the entire metalworking nation. Yeah, and then Why we'll follow you, up with that. I mean, yeah, let us know I think what's this your is really important. How do you handle it? I'd I'd like to know more about this because it's kind of like a taboo that we don't really talk about too often. I know a lot of my good friends that are in the industry that have a lot of employees are working a lot of hours. You know, I, I have one friend of mine who has a hundred and seventy man shop and they're working 60 hours a week. And I wonder if I could get his 
impression about why he feels as though he needs to do all of that. And there, you know, it's a three man, it's a three shift shop too, as well. So very interesting. Yeah, it would be great to hear from the Metalworking Nation and understand how everybody handles this, and and maybe we can follow up on this episode and and give some good information back to people because I'm sure that there's some businesses out there that are struggling with not only the expense, but just how do you handle this in a clear and concise way with your team so that you're on the same page. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest successes for a business is when you communicate, you know, clearly with, with your team. And if you're not communicating clearly on what your how you handle overtime, it's, it could turn into a problem. Very well. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of us, Jason? Uh, they can either email us or they can call us. And if they want to call, it's 312-725-0245. Leave us a voicemail and um, we may play it on a future episode. Sounds or we may great. just listen and answer your question or use it for an idea. Sounds great. Love to hear it. With that, bam, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips.